This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I'm your host, Karen Vergara, Senior Journalist at Financial Standard. The passive versus active debate shows no signs of abating. So today, we are discussing trends in fund flows over the last five years and what this will look like over the medium term. Joining us today is Louise Elliott, Principal Consultant at NMG Consulting. Louise, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Karen. So recently, NMG conducted an analysis of the growth of retail asset managers between 2018 and 2023. Can you firstly define what a retail asset manager is, the parameters used in the research, and what stood out from your findings? Yeah, my pleasure. So maybe before I just jump into that definition, um, a bit of an introduction for NG Consulting for those who aren't familiar with us. So we're a global boutique strategy consultancy that develops our own insights as well. And we focus solely on the asset management, wealth and investment industries. And as a principal consultant, my role is specifically to face into strategy within asset management and wealth. And so I support clients with growth decisions around market entry, product and distribution strategy, um, as well as inorganic growth opportunities. Now, as you mentioned, we we had an interesting article come out uh, towards the end of last year, looking at the uh, growth of retail asset managers over the last five years. And so, as you say, start off with the definition. Uh, So a retail asset manager is really any manager with product that is specifically intended to be distributed either by an advisor or directed consumer. Now, this piece of analysis was based on one of our proprietary studies, which is the Australian Managed Funds Review. And what we do within this is we pull together a number of, number of industry data sources. So that can include from exchanges or even direct from managers. And what we do is create a consolidated view of the retail asset management landscape in terms of flows and farm. Now, we do a lot of cleaning on this, so there's quite a bit of noise to be removed. Um, That can be anything like institutional flows or through to interfunding. Um, But really what it does provide us with is a clean view of how each asset manager's underlying strategies are performing from that flow and growth perspective. Now, of course, it also helps us to identify uh, key placement trends across the market. And that could be anything like asset class, management style, investment strategy, or, or even uh, broader ESG and product structure. So within this specific piece of analysis, um, what really stood out for us is that there was the emergence of three categories of asset managers across the five years, and they had very varying growth outcomes. So the first, uh, as you kind of mentioned up front with passive, was what we coined passive titans. Now, they had seen extraordinary growth over the last five years. And in actual fact, the top three managers within the Passive Titans accounted for over half of the Australian retail market system's uh, growth. Mm. On the flip side to this, we had what, what we characterized as the generalist active managers. Now, these were the group that shrank over the period, so had negative uh, growth outcomes. And what that includes is your larger market incumbents. So they're typically characterized as having significant backbooks on legacy master trust platforms. Now, somewhere in the middle, uh, we had the niche specialist active managers. So these managers did see positive growth over the period, not to the same extent as as the larger passive players, 
Um, but what they really benefited for, from was a more contemporary underlying active product set. And so I think that that's probably the, the thing that stood out to us the most, just how uh, stark some of these uh, growth uh, opportunities were for the varying uh, asset management categories. Mm, great explanation. Let's talk about asset classes. Broadly speaking, um, which asset classes experienced the biggest growth during the period and which were the least popular? So this is a great question, um, given the interesting period that we've had over the last five years in markets. So you've kind of had two distinct uh, time periods, if you will. The, the first was really characterized by quantitative easing and um, combined with the fact that there wasn't a lot of discretionary spend going on, right? So none of us were going on holidays. Uh, and what that meant was we had a market of investors who were really awash with cash. Uh, more recently, however, uh, as we'd all be keenly aware of, we've seen the interest rates hike and probably at a faster rate than, than anyone had expected. And so just to set the scene, that's kind of what we're dealing with when we look at the placement behavior. So under the earlier periods, which is really what we've seen uh, longer over the last five years, we saw most asset classes performing very, fairly well from a flow perspective. But there were some standouts. So the first I'll touch on is equities. And what we had seen was an increased appetite for offshore investing. Mm. Now, within that, it, it was primarily through passive product, but also within active, we saw thematics gaining flow. So that's your sector-specific products. Mm -hmm. So I think tech, miners, that, that was capturing flow. Now, Global had a pretty good time of it uh, when we were in that quantitative easing period. More recently, as we've seen volatility come back, we have seen a flight to home. So Oz Equity is picking up flow, um, but, but over that kind of time period, uh, primarily global. The second asset class that, that I'll, I'll touch on is fixed mm -hmm. income. And fixed income tends to benefit in, in the Australian market, which is characterized by uh, an SAA basis. So it obviously uh, does well from rebalancing, particularly when we've had strong uh, runs on equity. But what was interesting within fixed income is how the underlying strategies performed from a flow perspective under two very different uh, interest rate cycles. So initially, when we had the sustained lower rates, what we did see was advisors searching for yield. And so they were moving up the risk curve. And the strategies that were favored were, were things like specialist strategies on constraints, so think mortgage-backed or syndicated loans. However, more recently, as cash has got a decent handle on it, we are seeing cash balances starting to rise. So that's kind of outside of the asset management system. But what we're also seeing is a bit of a rotation back into traditional fixed income. And what we're hearing is that um, there's an expectation that the interest rate outlook is, uh, has peaked and it is starting to level. And so there's a lot more comfort with bringing duration back into the portfolio. The last asset class that I'll mention is one that's really starting to gain prominence in the retail market. So it, it's still quite small, but it's seen uh, very strong growth over the period, and that's alternatives, particularly within the private debt and private equity space. Now, this has been a bit of a result of where advisors' books are shifting. So we've seen them increasingly focus on higher balance clients, and that's really enabled um, advisors to explore and alternative allocations. So that kind of summarizes three asset classes that have been performing well. On the flip side, what we are seeing is that multi-sector product is continuing to run off. 
And that product is largely sitting on legacy platforms that have been in outflow. Very interesting. Very interesting observations indeed. You mentioned this earlier about the growth of um, passive flows and that passive managers have been a major contributor to farm growth during the period. Can you tell me more about this? Yeah, so passive, very, very strong growth, right? Like like I mentioned at the start, the top three managers mm. accounting for over half of, uh, of the system growth. So what we're sitting at at the moment in terms of overall system allocations is about 30% of AUM is within passive strategies. And that's grown very strongly. So a decade ago, we were sitting at about 10%. Wow. Now, there's a couple of key drivers to that growth. The first is a short-term driver, and it was really the growing popularity of ETFs within the direct channel. And that was largely fueled uh, by the economic conditions that we saw during the kind of COVID period, if you will. The second is a more medium to longer term uh, driver that, that we've seen playing out for a while. And that's within the advice channel. So what advisors are, are doing is they're being uh, increasingly, uh, they've been increasingly scrutinizing where and how they spend their clients' uh, fee and risk budgets. And that's really seen the, the growth of passive. And it's starting to play out in terms of a kind of passive core, high alpha satellite approach to constructing a client's portfolio. How are active fund managers staying, you know, on top of the competition in this space, Louise? Yeah, so it comes back to the third category of managers that, that I mentioned um, at the start. And so that's kind of your niche specialist active managers. And if you think about what that really means in the context of growing popularity of passive core high alpha satellite, it's being keenly aware of the fact that that is where advisors are shifting, right? So what is the role of me as an active manager in a passive core high alpha uh, approach? And so what we're seeing is, again, not all active product as vulnerable to, to the growth of passive. So we coined the term index relative. And what that really means is any product that kind of hugs the benchmark very uh, fairly closely, that is the active product that is seeing net outflow as passive gains. The active managers who are staying competitive are thinking about what is the more active or higher alpha product that I am bringing in to sit alongside this passive core. And so that can be anything from within the asset class. So for example, shifting towards more, even if it's large capitals equities, more higher conviction product, or it's also thinking about uh, more broadly, which emerging asset classes are we seeing? So the popularity of alternatives and, and more so liquid products. Interesting. So in many ways, they could complement each other. Yeah, mm. exactly. And so it's thinking about if this is a trend that's happening and continuing, what's the role that I can play, right? And it might be a smaller allocation, but uh, the fee that's attached to that is often a little bit more attractive as well. NMG's research also did a forecast over the next five years. What does the research see happening over the next five years? And how will these affect financial advisors and their clients? You mentioned them earlier and, and their you know, focus on fees. And that's a, one of the drivers as well in how they allocate clients' funds. Yeah, that's right. So there's probably a couple of high-level uh, trends that, that I'll sort of talk to that, that we're seeing um, in the market. So the first is that kind of growth of passive. We've spoken to the extraordinary growth that's seen over the last five, 10 years. However, we do have an expectation that it is going to begin to slow. 
Now, there's two kind of underlying uh, drivers within that. So the first is within the direct market. And I think I mentioned that uh, the strong growth that we'd seen there was really uh, during the period that we had a lot of discretionary spend. The, The world wasn't really going anywhere. But now with a tighter economic outlook, we do see that starting to slow. The second is within the advice channel. So we've got a program that we run every year where we talk to 400, 500 advisors to understand how they're approaching their business, how they're approaching client portfolios. And what they tell us is that they have largely reached their target allocations to passive. So what we hear from advisors is kind of around a third, 34%. um, And what we're sitting at at the moment is just under 30%. So so that's the first thing. We're we're probably seeing it slow within DTC, less uh, kind of discretionary spend to go into that. And then um, in the advice channel, uh, that rotation largely complete, still to continue, but but slowing down. The second uh, trend that we see is is one that I kind of mentioned up front, which is uh, advisors continuing to focus on large balance clients. So as we've seen the supply um, supply demand dynamics play out in Australia's uh, advice market, we've seen advisors increasingly shifting books to higher net wealth. And so what that does is, is continues to bring opportunity for a higher conviction product and also asset classes that had probably been less accessible by the retail market previously when we had a, a higher allocation to or balance towards mass and affluent clients. It would be really remiss of me not to mention uh, the quality of advice review. So I'll just touch on that one. <laughs> but really what we see coming out of that, and at least uh, where it currently stands today or where the government stance is, is we see an expansion of the advice spectrum. So the types of advice that, that can be provided. And so whilst we're hopeful that the availability of advice increases for that kind of mass and lower affluent uh, end of the the Australian wealth curve, we don't see it significantly impacting how holistic advice is currently delivered. So if we look at the high net wealth uh, bucket of of households, only a third of them are currently advised. And so there's still plenty of opportunity for holistic advisors to to continue to um, service that that end of the uh, spectrum. Louise, are there any other um, insights or thoughts or comments you'd like to share that we may have missed in this fantastic discussion? <laughs> um, I think I'll just uh, leave with like a final summary. So it will continue to be a challenging market for larger active managers, right? Well, there's no kind of shying away from that. Um, and as I mentioned, that's really the large incumbents with significant backbooks, which is that double-edged sword, right, of, of retention and growth. But there are still opportunities to capture inflows within the active space. What really needs to happen is there needs to be a refocus on how active managers diversify their product offerings mm. and think how they face into what is a changing distribution landscape, but also just a changing placement behaviour um, on behalf of those advisors. Louise, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au.
please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 